With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome professional photographer Joe McNally as he joins the show to discuss the nuance of sports photography, covering the Olympics, Instagram's impact on photography, capturing the highs and lows of the human experience, and much more. This is a great and wonderful chat for just photography fans. And just if you want to learn just about Joe McNally himself, a legend in the photography field, get in touch with the show through Twitter, through the Twitter handle Hoopsology Pod, or through Facebook. Our Facebook name is Hoopsology Pod as well. Same name for Instagram. And send us an email at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. And without further ado, Joe McNally. Our next guest is an internationally acclaimed photographer who has been to nearly 70 countries and has been on assignment for many publications. His um, cover stories include Sports Illustrated, Time, Newsweek, among many others. He is the author of The Real Deal, Field Notes from the Life of a Working Photographer. We welcome Joe McNally onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Joe? All right. How's it going for you guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on to the show. I, I've been really looking forward to this interview because I, I I just read through your book and just going through your website. Your your work is incredible. And we usually ask a lot of our guests since our podcast is focused on basketball. I just want to ask you, what is your first basketball or um, your favorite basketball memory? Wow. Um, uh, I was a wannabe uh, athlete in high school. I lived and breathed basketball. I really did. Um, believe it or not, when the Knicks won uh, the championship in the, in the early 70s, I used to listen on radio. It was not televised, you know, so that's kind of a reference for how old I am. But I used to use my transistor radio and keep track of the games. And, you know, Willis Reed, Dave DeBusher, you know, um, you know, uh, Walt Frazier. I mean, these were legends to me. So, yeah, I kind of grew up with it. And that's probably still my best memory really is Clyde Frazier, you know? And then of course, you know, you, you, he's gone on to this amazing career as a commentator where he's, you know, percolating on the baseline, you know I mean? <laughs> nobody like Clyde, which is nobody like yeah. him and personifies New York style. Absolutely. Um, Joe, I want to hop into your coverage of the Tokyo Olympics. I just think that Olympics is fascinating for so many reasons. It has so many questions. And I guess that where I start off on is what was just your strategy just going into those games? It's just so unique for so many reasons, and you're out there just covering it. What was kind of your strategy in terms of the sports that you wanted to cover and then just in terms of all the restrictions and then just in terms of the environment what was kind of your mindset just before you headed to tokyo and then when you were there like what was kind of the environment like and did anything surprise you or shock you or add or take away from the experience overall sure um that's a kind of a 360 type of question you know you know a lot of points there uh first of all um tip of the hat to the japanese people um they were incredibly gracious. The volunteers who staffed, you know, in, in multitudes at these various venues were, were gracious to a fault, helpful, welcoming. 
I mean, you know, it took four and a half hours to go through the Tokyo airport upon entry, but my memory is not a bad one because everyone was so helpful along the way. And the goal, of course, was to cross that threshold, get into the country, be negative tested, be allowed to go to your hotel and start to cover the games. So from my perspective as a photographer, the Olympics are really about joy. You know, it's about the joy of excellence, of striving, the human condition really at its uh, upper tiers in terms of sheer physicality and abilities and uh, competitiveness. So I always look forward to that. The athletes always lift us up no matter what else is going on. At the 2016 Olympics in Rio, uh, there was Zika, right? Everybody remembers Zika. There's always something. Now, COVID was more than just something, you know, it was a global pandemic. And to stage the games in the middle of those empty stadiums, sometimes it, it was disheartening, you know, to look up and see no one watching these magnificent athletes. But at the end of the day, it almost seemed like the athletes didn't, this is probably the wrong thing to say, but it's not that they didn't care, but they were involved in their own uh, striving. You know, they were there. The Olympic athlete, I've always had respect, enormous respect. I've shot four Olympics and I've done preamble Olympic coverages for many magazines over the years. And you realize these athletes work largely in obscurity. You know, the, the big time athletes, you know, Carl Lewis and, you know, and, and Usain Bolt, you know, they come along once in a generation and they make a lot of money and have a lot of notoriety. Most of those athletes labor in obscurity for years for that one almost split second on the world stage. So I have tremendous respect for them. And I was keyed up about that. You know, I didn't care about, you know, anything else really. I, I was only allowed to leave my hotel for 15 minutes at a time when I would come back. I could go to the family mart on the corner and buy sandwiches. So I ate sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for almost a month, you know, and I didn't care. You know, it's so much work, 18, 20 hours a day. I fell asleep at my station at the, you know, at, at track and field, you know, I'm back there with my computer. You know, David Burnett, who's a Olympic legend, you know, photographic legend came over. We've known each other for 40 years. He's like, dude. You know? <laughs> so um, it's an all out effort. It really is. And my objective was just to celebrate the athletes at the end of the day. Joe, I wanted to ask you, you know, your your body of work is so diverse. You, you've done so many different areas of photography itself. What is unique about filming or, um, excuse me, <laughs> taking photographs in sporting events? Um, what are the, the different challenges of that? I mean, of course, you have fast-paced motion in a lot of these sports. But as a photographer, what do you kind of take into consideration you know, versus like a nature shoot or, or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned pace, you know, a nature shoot, you know, I mean, obviously animals are their own thing and they're fleeting and elusive, you know, if you're a landscape photographer, that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, but uh, yeah, sports always gets the heart going, you know, and I was a contract photographer with Sports Illustrated for eight years, you know, and I've done very significant coverages for them over the years. Uh, I've never, to be honest, never been all that much of a sideline guy, you know, um, not that great uh, an action shooter, just not, you know, the, the respect I have uh, in, you know, just incredible amount of respect for those photographers who do it incredibly well, you know, you've got Al Bello, 
you know, at, uh, at Getty, you know, Donald Morale, you know, shooting now over the years, Walter Yost, Heinz Klutmeyer, Johnny Iacana, uh, Manny Milan, these, uh, John Beaver, you know, like John Beaver, you know, was Chicago based. He would know what the bears would run at third and 19, you know, the rest of the photographers on the sidelines would be like, you know, John would know who they were going to. That's the key to excellent sports photography, you know, is the preamble. You know, the, the study, the work, the familiarity, the relationships, all that plays into that split second of capture, you know, at that moment in time when the game is tipping one direction or another. And those select photographers are absolutely astonishing at it. I'm in there compared to them. I, I'm an also ran. Um, I've always done sports features. See, Here's the thing. I don't know if I should admit this to you guys, um, but I don't care who wins. I honestly don't care who wins. What I'm interested in about sports is the obsession, the obsession that lies behind the excellence. If I can portray that somehow, either through the action at the game or through a, a studio session, a location session, a portrait session, you know, um, things happen. I've shot covers of, of major athletes over the years. And there's always some sort of, you know, key, you know, to um, to making something that is revealing about the athlete. So I've always uh, enjoyed the world of sports and been involved in it, even though when it comes down to hardcore action photography, the day to day pounded out, you know, football game weekend stuff. I've always been apart from that. So it really sounds like you have to have a great appreciation for the sport. I mean, you mentioned the preparation that those photographers are taking of those sign light photos. I mean, you almost have to have just a pure passion for the sport itself uh, in order to get into position to take those shots and, and display it correctly. Sure. I mean, the competition is high. How do you find, I mean, you know, at Olympics, you know, there's 200, 300 photographers photographing the finish line. You know, how do you do something different? Mm. You know, I, I cite Al Bello again. He's an amazing tennis shooter, for instance. And he knows the light and the angles out of Forest Hills uh, for the U.S. Open so well that he's able to come up with something that transcends coverage and goes on to poetry. You know, that's there's a difference between documentation and interpretation. And there are very select few sports photographers who um, find their way to interpretation which is really where it's at, you know. Bill Frakes with uh, his legendary strip camera, for instance. Bill and I are good friends and, and uh, you know, his shot, for instance, from Sydney and Marion Jones. The amount of work that goes in to uh, the moment of exposure, you know. Heinz Klutmeyer, you know, <laughs> I forget which mm -hmm. Olympic it was, it might have been Barcelona. Um, Heinz went over because there are so many photographers and there's competition and there's some negativity that goes on there. You put your clamps down, you come back, you find your wires cut, you know, remotes, you know, that at an Olympic level, that doesn't happen too often. But um, Heinz took it a step further. <laughs> Heinz brought over an arc welder. So when he put his clamps on the railings, he, he welded them to the railings so nobody could move them. <laughs> That's how competitive this gets. Wow. And forgive my ignorance. I mean, I assume the number is very low, but when you are doing like a live shoot, not necessarily sports, but I mean, what is a, a good, I, are, are you just hoping to have that one 
perfect photograph that that can be a keeper something that that you can use or what is what is like a good day in a in a live event oh man um i've never shot the perfect photograph <laughs> sorry matt <laughs> sure if sure. you're looking for perfection you're barking up the wrong tree here um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so um i'm hoping to to uh get something that you know ha has an edge to it maybe a little bit of uniqueness the strategy say in an olympics and jimmy colton who was my editor of zuma press when i was shooting uh the olympics for zuma press um always counsels and jimmy again uh, we started as kids together when he was at newsweek and then he went on to sports illustrated um the heats are where you experiment like i got wide play on some pictures that i shot at like uh at rio and at um you know, out in Tokyo that were experiments, multiple exposures, handheld multiple exposures, snap zooms, okay, where you can experiment when the heats are, are, are really running and everybody's, you know, tussling for that to get a place in the final, you know, you can experiment because that's when the pressure is at its least. When you are down to the gold medal heat, that's when you lock down and that's when you go for action and that's when you hopefully don't miss. Joe, I want to ask you when you're shooting um, your just your cover stories or any other um, photography um, job that you're at, I wanted to kind of ask you when you capture a photo that shows vulnerability and something that might make you uncomfortable that it, but shows the story that you want to capture. Like, are there any conflicting emotions just in terms of that? You know, they're your humans that you're that you're photographing and that's a vulnerable moment and that potentially can be shown to the rest of the world. Um, but it's such a great picture. What are kind of the emotions like when you capture that photo that shows a particular vulnerability or just a moment, you know, if we're talking about sports where it's just the agony of defeat, where something that's really emotionally jarring that all that effort put into this one sporting event, you know, it does not go the athlete's way and you captured that moment. What are kind of the emotions when you, you captured that type of photo? Yeah, I mean, you're always um, reticent, you know, well, reticent, maybe not the right word. You're, and hesitant is not the right word either. You have to step forward, you have to do your job, but you're also a human being, you can feel the pain. But I always am honest with people. I, I did uh, a stint years ago for National Geographic where I went down to Texas and it was a story about human performance. And it was the National Geographic ran it uh, to time for the Millennium Olympics. Uh, uh, in Sydney. So I was working with uh, a whole variety of athletes in Colorado Springs at the Olympic uh, Center and this and that. And you see the pushing and the striving and the, and the you know, the pain of a workout, etc. But I, I spent some time with this football team, uh, high school football team in Texas. And that was exactly kind of what I was going for is like um, highs and lows, you know, and I told the coach, and we had a little get together with the team. I said, Look, I will be there if you win and you're celebrating on the field. But if you lose and you're weeping in the locker room, I will be there as well. You have to accept that as the fair exchange. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, okay, we get it, we get it. You know, When I shot the Olympic team in 96 in the nude for Life Magazine, which back in 96 was scandalous. I ended up on Good Morning America and the <laughs> show, and it's like, everybody was like, oh my God. You know, now, you know, with ESPN, the body issue, athletes are just walking around naked. But yeah. back then in 96, it was like, ooh. You know, I wasn't after eroticism or, you know, uh, that kind of titillation, 
what one of the elements was I was after what does sports do to the human body? And I photographed uh, the woman's marathon uh, winner. She won the trials, Linda Evans, I believe her name was. And I immediately whisked her from the finish line to a homemade studio in the parking lot next to the finish line. I had a mattress and a blanket for her and then a stand and she laid down and she took her shoes and socks off and then she put her feet up on this prop that I had. And that to me was technically a nude because her feet were naked. But I was at what I was after there in that instance, like what kind of damage does running 26.2 miles do to mm -hmm. the, you know, uh, I photographed the, um, the American fencer, uh, oh Lord. Um, and I had him bend, I'll come up with his name in a minute, but I had him bend his foil over his head and I shot him from the back and literally his fencing arm was twice the size of his non-fencing arm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it, it's not slight. It, the arm is enormous. This arm, not so much. So I was after things like that as well. So you see those moments where the body is reacting to the sport, the emotions are involved in the sport. And my, my feeling is that you have to be honest and straightforward and you have to do your job because the good of it and the bad of it are all part of the story. Joe, I want to also ask you, your portfolio is so diverse. That's kind of a basic question. Which of the genres of photography is your most favorite or just kind of um, you enjoy shooting or even, even the opposite way, whatever way you want to take the question. What are the challenging genres when you go out to just a photography shoot that might um, um, prompt more just preparation and just uh, kind of prep time and going into it? Sure. Good question. Um... I mean, the umbrella aspect or, you know, you can lump me under the umbrella of people photographer. You know, uh, I, if people are doing it, I'm interested in it. I, I'm not much of I'm not the kind of photographer who backpacks into the woods and just don't do it. You know, um, I appreciate the people who do. They do marvelous work, but it ain't me. So uh, I would say that, you know, sports is sports and movement. Um, here, here's a huge interest for me. And it, this cover sports is I've always been in love with performers. I'm always fascinated by uh, someone who can get on stage, be they an athlete, uh, uh, a dancer, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, an actor, uh, uh, a circus performer, uh, you know, you name it. I, anybody who can like say um, or be confident enough in their own skills and excellence to say, okay, I'm going to get on stage and you're going to pay money to come see me. You know, mm -hmm. that to me is like pretty cool. So I'm always interested in that life. I have a lot of friends who perform down in Vegas and there's a real overlap in Vegas between um, Olympic athlete skill and the performance on the stages. You think it's all glitz and this and that it's hard work. There, uh, oh, yeah. the, o, the O show down there, which is the water show with Cirque du Soleil, has an enormous number of former Olympians, mm. nice swimmers, divers, you know, swimmers. You, they're they're all in there because half of the, more than half of the show is conducted in the water. These people are holding their breaths for an enormous amount of time. They're diving from tremendous heights. Their body control is amazing. So yes, there's there's this fascination I've had my whole life, photographic life for uh, performers, uh, particularly ballet. Uh, I love the art form of the ballet. And I suggested to Sports Illustrated once years ago, and they, they rejected it. Uh, a, a story um, 
uh, basketball and ballet. I wanted to go to various cities and take one of the star basketball players from the NBA and match them up in a studio with a prima ballerina and see how the moves would, you know, sync up or what they would be like and uh, never got it done. But yeah, you know, to me, uh, you know, when a human being uh, strives for excellence and that's oftentimes what we are sent to do as photographers, we witness excellence. You're, you're not put on assignment to go down the block and photograph your neighbor as wonderful as they are. You're sent someplace because somebody or something they're involved in is extraordinary. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. And in terms of just kind of your, your eye when you're on assignment, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you're following what's interesting to you personally, but what's kind of the key to your, your eye for photography, for getting those photos that interest you? Hmm. Um, I look oftentimes for oddity mm. and, and uh, you know, the juxtaposition of elements. I've taken ballerinas to some very unlikely places, for instance, that you're, you're not a, supposed to be a ballerina there. Wait a minute. You know, uh, mm. and, and I've inserted ballerinas into uh, tableaus. I, I do like tableaus where there's multiple things I, as a viewer of your photograph. I'm, you know, say I'm the viewer of this photograph. I, I'm, I want to be entertained. You know, I'm bombarded with visuals, Instagram, you know, click, 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 click. What makes someone stop and get involved with your photograph? Oftentimes that's the, the, uh, oddly beautiful nature of it, or it could be the fact that there's multiple things going on in a tableau. In other words, there's things going on foreground, middle ground, background. So you draw the eye of the viewer into your photograph and make them commit to actually spending a few seconds with it or maybe even more. So I do seek uh, the interaction of um, the odd and the beautiful. I seek multiple things going on, foreground, middle ground, background. Those kinds of photographs really resonate with me. You know, that's that's a perfect segue to another question I wanted to ask you regarding Instagram, actually, is uh, with Instagram being so huge now, I mean, does it is it is it a pro or a con as a photographer? Because just being inundated with all of these photos, does it in some ways make it easier for you to stand out in, in taking an excellent photograph or is it harder to get people's attention or neither of the above? I mean, is it not really affecting the photography game? <laughs> well, it's, it is affecting. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. It's probably the loaded, largest photographic playing field out there on the Internet. And certainly we maintain a presence on, uh, on Instagram. We put up a, a new Instagram this morning. Yeah, we, we, we tend to chime in about twice a week. And we tend to try to time the entries for a trend, uh, a time of year, an event that's going on, all that kind of thing. So is it good or is it bad? I don't know, man. Uh, the jury's kind of out on that. Is it, it's a flurry, you know, that's for sure. It's a way to be seen, you know, certain art directors prowl Instagram looking for potential talent there. That mm. can happen. Uh, I've almost got a couple of assignments off of Instagram, but that kind of uh, aspect of it is, has quieted down. Um, 
the uh, the wonderful thing is that it gives you a voice. You don't have to wait for an assignment to go quote unquote publish something. You can talk about your work. You can put it out there in the field. You can dupe it on Facebook. You can dupe it on Twitter, et cetera. You can go in a well-rounded way to see if you can gather an audience. And gathering an audience is part of staying alive nowadays as a photographer. When I would shoot a cover of National Geographic, for instance, you know, this was kind of in the pre-digital era, even though I've shot some in the digital era, um, you know, the magazine would stay on the stands for a month. People would talk about it, cover life. You know, people talked about it. It wasn't fleeting. I always remind young photographers, especially it's like, oh, wow, I got, I got like 2000 likes, you know, it's like, it ain't the same as $2,000, mm-hmm. you know, uh, likes are cheap and easy. Um, <laughs> You know, how do you sustain yourself? How do you drive yourself to a point where this thing that you love also sustains your life? Um, To that point, Joe, I want to ask you about this, the evolving technology as well, just because now to Matt's point, everybody has the ability just to to shoot just photos instantaneously. And like you were saying, um, get their work out to millions of people. And just from your own, I guess, I guess foresight and just um, based on your experience, where do you see kind of the <clears throat> playing field in terms of technology, in terms of like handheld devices and taking, you know, photos? Do you see where it's just like, you know, a DSLR has the exact same technology as, you know, what the iPhone or Google or what Samsung's putting out, where it's just like a completely um, neutral playing field, and then it, it just comes down to basically um, creativity and just experience and is trying to evoke that emotion kind of where do you see kind of the i guess the industry going in, in your opinion in the future again good question and hard to know and hard to answer you know no crystal balls here but but um i keep pace with the technology i appreciate the technology i'm shooting the nikon z9 now which is a beast of a camera it's phenomenal the things that it can do the accuracy of the autofocus, all those things that cover the waterfront that you used to have to worry about tremendously as a photographer, you know? Um, I mean, again, dating myself here, but I, I started shooting, you know, a uh, shot with um, Nikon Fs and F2s, you know? So that's why I just have to chuckle if I hear any of the internet folks out there complaining about <laughs> 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 the camera. <laughs> you know? You know, really, there's not that much to complain about. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the smartphone thing has uh, uh, devastated, you know, certain aspects of the larger camera manufacturers uh, playing field. You know, the compact cameras and stuff have, you know, oftentimes or by and large gone by the wayside. Everybody's got a, a pretty sophisticated camera now if you've got a decent uh, iPhone or or uh, Samsung or something like that. But it's also a question, uh, and, and I see some very creative work being done with smartphones, the, no, not taken away from it at all. But the, the larger step, if you will, into the DSLR mirrorless realm gives you uh, enormous ability to adapt and to change your perspective. You know, there's not a heck of a lot. I know there's shifts you can make now with the, the smartphones go from wide to telephoto, but still, you know, the timing, it's not there. Uh, you know, a real serious reach with a lens, not there. Sharpness, ultimately not there. Uh, you know, you don't want to shoot somebody's wedding on a smartphone. You know, the results are going to be, 
you know, the occasional snap is going to be wonderful, but, but, you know, if, if you're going to stay in the professional realm of this, you're still staying with professional cameras. And those will be, I think, the signature of anyone uh, going forward who's got to, you know, make a mark as a professional. Well, Joe, we really appreciate this interview. Very fascinating. Thank you very much for taking time to speak with us. Uh, can you let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you in terms of either social media or with your website and any um, projects we should be on the lookout for and also um, where our viewers can find the book as well? Sure. Um, the new book that's out is called The Real Deal, Field Notes from the Life of a Working Photographer. It's kind of a um, hopefully fun, entertaining, and educational meander through the life of a working photographer, you know, and that title was chosen very advisedly, you know, because that's what I've done for all this time. I've worked at this, you work at it, you get better at it. Hopefully you have good days and bad days. Um, Instagram is Joe McNally photo. Uh, our, uh, our website, which we've updated and has actually the Tokyo Olympic uh, a chapter there, a portfolio is up there is Joe McNally.com. And then uh, pretty much once weekly, we write um, an amazing, fascinating, well-written, erudite blog. Did I just self-plug myself? Like, <laughs> Go on, <laughs> do it. Nally.com <laughs> backslash blog. It, it's, a, it's a fun look at the industry on the odd occasion, for sure. Joe, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, guys.